Welcome to 340B Insight from 340B Health. Hello from Washington, D.C., and welcome back to 340B Insight, the podcast about the 340B drug pricing program. I'm your host, David Glendinning, with 340B Health. Our guest today is Maureen Testoni, the president and CEO of 340B Health. We regularly check in with Maureen to stay up to date with the latest 340B developments and to learn more about how our community is responding to them. On this episode, she is providing her insights on 340B-related topics that include the contract pharmacy dispute, federal court cases, new legislation in Congress, the end of the public health emergency, and more. I recently sat down with her to discuss. Here's that conversation. Hello, Maureen, and thank you for taking the time to come on our podcast today. Welcome to 340B Insight. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Let's start where we typically start, by discussing drug company restrictions on drugs dispensed to contract pharmacies. Where are we on those restrictions? We've seen additional companies come forward uh, with imposing restrictions. So we have 23 companies total now, and in uh, since June... They've included Organon, which is a Merck spinoff that's focused on uh, women's health, and Teva, which is the largest generic drug maker in the world. The other thing that we're seeing is companies are really tightening their restrictions. So, for example, Bosch, Exelixis, and Novo Nordisk has done that recently, and they're following companies that had already started doing that earlier this year. And what that's doing is making it much harder for uh, 340B hospitals to be able to access 340B pricing on their drugs. Okay, so there are some familiar drug maker names there and also some new ones. What forms are these newest 340B pricing policies or policy changes taking? Well, basically, David, really what we're seeing is are companies trying to get out of contract pharmacy as much as they legally can. What these companies said in the litigation is that they would continue contract pharmacy as it was required in 1996 by HRSA, which meant that they would allow one contract pharmacy for hospitals that did not have their own in-house pharmacy. And we're seeing some of the companies move to that position, which is a really big difference from where many of them were in the past. They were, prior to this year, many were allowing the use of contract pharmacy in contract pharmacies that were wholly owned by the health system. We're seeing that disappear. They were allowing multiple contract pharmacies so long as hospitals were would agree to share claims data. We're seeing that disappear. And one of the new things that we're seeing that is really, really harmful is a limit on the ability to use a contract pharmacy if the contract pharmacy is outside of a 40-mile radius of the hospital. And that one, we at 340 Health really believe can violate even what the uh, courts have said manufacturers are able to do. And that's because many hospitals tell us that they cannot access a company's drugs by any pharmacy within 40 miles, because we're really talking about specialty drugs, and those are often very far from where a hospital is located. Thank you for running through those details. I know it can be difficult for 340B hospitals to keep up with all of them. So what do you think is driving 
the latest surge of drug company restrictions? Well, I think it's just following on what they've been trying to do this entire time, which is really reduce how much they're having to provide in 340B discounts. You can go back to letters from as far as 15 years ago that were asking HRSA to change the, the 340B definition of patient to mean just uninsured patients, which would dramatically reduce you know, the availability of 340B discounts. I think one of the things that we're seeing, especially with the companies that were first limiting contract pharmacy, is they're really, they're the companies that either have a lot of drugs that are hit by the inflationary penalty, which means that they've increased their prices a lot, and that requires under the law that they increase the level of their 340B discounts. And a lot of the manufacturers that are limiting contract pharmacy are those that have a lot of specialty drugs. By limiting access to contract pharmacy, they are limiting the ability of uh, hospitals to access 340B discounts on specialty drugs. They're basically cutting specialty out of 340B, essentially. So that's one of that's really what the goal is for the surge or, or for drug companies getting involved in this. It's increased recently, partly because there was a, a decision in one of the appellate courts. So just as a, a reminder, HRSA told companies that they could not limit contract pharmacies. Many of the companies sued. Those decisions were heard in four district courts, which came up with different decisions, some for the government, some for manufacturers. And all of those decisions are currently being heard in three um, appellate courts. One issued a decision relatively recently, which basically said that the companies did not have to deliver drugs to contract pharmacies, although they did have a note in there that it could be different if, in fact, that hospitals were not able to access the company's drugs other than through a contract pharmacy. So I think that's what's really prompted companies to move forward in the hope that the other two appellate court decisions are going to come out with with a similar decision. But we still have those two courts, and we're hoping uh, to have a decision in both of them before July, although there is no firm deadline for those courts. We've also seen a federal appeals court that's looking at a co at contract pharmacy legislation in Arkansas. So we're seeing contract pharmacy at the federal level, and but we're also seeing states take action to require contract pharmacy compliance by manufacturers in their own states. And so, and then we're seeing litigation by pharma there as well. So this is probably likely to go on um, for some time. Okay, so we'll be keeping an eye on those courts, and I know that uh, 340B Health is hoping for decisions that are going to be favorable for 340B hospitals, but if they're not favorable, I know that could be devastating for, for 340B contract pharmacy. We've said that all along, but are there any other potential effects we should be mindful of here? Yes, David, there, there really are, because this litigation has really focused on contract pharmacy, and there are many out there that believe that that is really the only impact. But when you look at some of the decisions by the district courts, especially the one in the District of Columbia, really what some of the courts seem to be saying is that manufacturers can impose conditions on covered entities' ability to access 340B discounts, and not just in contract pharmacy. So where I get very concerned is depending on how these decisions come out, that it could potentially 
allow manufacturers to put all kinds of limits on 340B, like, for example, requiring that 340B discount be obtained not at the point of sale, but instead retroactively in the form of a rebate. That could allow the manufacturers to really review any hospital claims to confirm that in their view, it complies with their interpretation of what a patient should be under the law or comply with what they see as duplicate discount requirements and that type of thing. So we've been seeing more and more that manufacturers are imposing conditions on covered entities. Like for example, there are some companies that are requiring that covered entities use a specific wholesaler in order to access 340B on their drugs. And that's hugely burdensome because you have to have an account at each location where you're using those drugs. So that could be upwards of hundreds of accounts just for one or two manufacturers. Other manufacturers could choose a different wholesaler that you're not already using. So it's a very big concern that we have And certainly if it were, you know, to be very broad in terms of allowing conditions, that's when I think no matter what, we would we would need Congress to step in to protect 340B and covered entities. Okay. You just uh, mentioned Congress, which is a great segue um, into legislation. When we last spoke, the new Congress was just starting up for the year. What's happening on Capitol Hill when it comes to 340B? I'm going to start with legislation that Congresswoman Doris uh, Matsui, a Democrat from California, a longtime dedicated champion of 340B, is working on. So she is getting ready to introduce legislation that would put 340B back to where it was before all of these restrictions started. So it would it would require that that manufacturers deliver drugs to contract pharmacies. It would also address this issue of conditions and prohibit manufacturers from imposing conditions on accessing 340B, whether it's through contract pharmacy or not through contract pharmacy. We're expecting the bill to be introduced soon and that it would have bipartisan support, and so we'll certainly be advocating uh, strongly for that. We've also, though, seen other legislation that has made it out of one of the key committees in the House, the Energy and Commerce Committee, and there's two legislative provisions that are impactful for 340B. One is a bill that was authored by Congressman Larry Bouchon. What that bill would do is it would require hospitals to report on all kinds of things about their use of 340B. For They would have to report on how much they were getting in savings, and they would have to, uh, at each location, at the main hospital, but also at each offsite location. And then they would also have to report on things like their charity care at the main hospital, but also at each location. The opponents of this bill strongly criticized it as something that is is not going to give Congress information on how 340B works if it's just going to look at things like charity care or underpayment by public programs. And this legislation would not collect any information on how hospitals are providing services to more patients. So it's a big concern with that. It would also allow HRSA to audit covered entities on how they use their savings There are no standards that dictate how hospitals would use their savings, so it's very unclear exactly what this kind of audit authority would mean. And then there's a second piece of legislation that also made it through the House committee, and basically it would require that any covered entity that gets more than the cost of the 340B drug from a Medicaid managed care organization, those entities would be required to report 
report that difference, the higher payment that they got to their state Medicaid agencies and to the federal government. And that information would be made public by covered entity. That is legislation that was included in a broader bill. And so that made it through the committee by unanimous vote. It made it into the legislation because it was changing what was a much more restrictive provision, which was which would have prohibited, actually, Medicaid managed care organizations from paying covered entities more than the 340B price for a drug. There, we did a lot of advocacy on that issue. And in fact, some states require Medicaid managed care companies to pay more than the 340B price. So it would have overridden states' rights in that area. So instead of overriding that, the committee put in this reporting requirement, and it does allow Medicaid managed care companies to still pay more than the than the 340B price. So two House bills that we're keeping a close eye on. What are the next steps in, in Congress for those two bills? So they've gotten out of the committee. They have to go to the Rules Committee, and then from there, they may, if they get through there, then they can be brought to the floor for consideration. We led a joint letter to oppose both the reporting legislation and the Medicaid managed care provisions as well. And we were joined with six other national associations representing hospitals and pharmacists on that. We've really seen in the past that strong advocacy can make a difference, especially when hospitals are talking directly to their members of Congress. So we're working very closely with our hospital members on that. And then, of course, even if it were to get out of the House, It still has to go through the Senate. And one thing that we're seeing in the Senate that's interesting is a group of senators that have, you know, been supportive of 340B in the past released a letter that is called an RFI, a request for information. And what they're doing is asking for comments on some of the key issues in 340B, like contract pharmacy, like HRSA oversight, duplicate discounts and transparency. And they're looking for comments from everybody. You know, we'll certainly submit comments, but but individual providers can submit comments as well. And when you read their introduction to the letter, it appears they're very concerned about the contract pharmacy impact on covered entities and are looking for more information around these issues so they can, you know, consider whether to do legislation depending on how things uh, proceed on that contract pharmacy issue. Well, that covers Capitol Hill. Any movement on 340B bills in state legislatures? So uh, I'm happy to report that more states are passing non-discrimination laws. It's, it's now more than half have 340B non-discrimination laws. And although the details can differ, generally what they do is they prohibit PBMs and insurers from paying less to 340B hospitals than to non-340B hospitals. As I mentioned earlier, Arkansas has uh, legislation to require contract pharmacy. We also saw Louisiana enact similar legislation this year. On the other side of things, uh, we have seen a lot of Medicaid, state Medicaid agencies, really have concerns about 340B. And where that is coming from is if a drug is purchased through 340B, that means the state does not get to claim a rebate on that drug. So we've seen a lot of activity by state Medicaid agencies and governors to get more information on what is going on with 340B in their state. Uh, And this year we saw recently Minnesota 
and Maine legislatures approve bills that would require reporting on, on savings, you know, payer mix, charity care, and that type of thing. We saw Connecticut come very close, but ultimately not move forward. Although in that state, they did create a, a commission to study 340B and do a report on it. So that, you know, it really does, it really does seem that where these states are coming from is to see what's going on with 340B and determine whether or not to make changes, as some states have done, like California and New York, to really move a lot of Medicaid outside of 340B to make sure that states are really getting the rebates on all of the drugs for their Medicaid patients. Let's turn our attention to Medicare pay issues for a minute. When we last spoke, Medicare had just recently started paying full Part B rates again to 340B hospitals after the Supreme Court ended years of pay cuts. So what's the latest on that issue? So yes, it's great that they are paying what they should be paying and what they should have been paying since 2018 um, to hospitals, but we still have that period of time where they did not, 340B hospitals did not get the payments that they that they should have received. And so the issue at hand now is how are hospitals going to be made whole? And we're expecting CMS to issue a proposed rule outlining how it plans to provide those rent, those remedies in the coming weeks. And hopefully we will have that, a, a rule that's finalized by the end of the year. Um, you know, we at 340B Health strongly urge that Medicare pay lump sum repayments plus interest to all of the hospitals that have been impacted. You know, CMS has been reluctant to do that, but we'll really see when this proposed rule comes out. Well, we'll be sure to let our listeners know the details of that rule and our response when it when it does come out. Anything else from the administration that you're keeping an eye on when it comes to 340B? Well, you know, there was something that happened just a couple months ago. It was during the when the COVID-19 public health emergency ended. And it relates to the ability to use 340B in your new child size at a hospital. So under HRSA's old rules, they required that in order to use 340B in any location in the hospital, the location has to have already appeared on your Medicare cost report. And depending on when you start this new location, you can be up to you know 22 months between when you start and when it's actually going to you know be on your cost report. But then during the COVID-19 public health emergency, we were all asking HRSA if they could waive that and allow hospitals to use 340B as soon as they had the location up and running. And HRSA said, no, we cannot change anything, but we will remind you that you have other guidance and you have the patient definition guidance from 1996 and your patients might qualify under that 1996 guidance to be able to use 340B. And then on top of that, the 340B prime vendor Apexis actually had conversations with hospitals to make clear that that policy was not tied to the public health emergency and would remain in place even after the public health emergency expired. Unfortunately, when the public health emergency ended, HRSA then said that they were going to change that policy, and they sent language to 340B Health and and a number of others that had asked them about it, saying very clearly that hospitals had to stop using 340B in new child sites. They could only use it in places that were on the cost report. Certainly, 340B Health complained, as did others. And then we were told, before the health emergency ended, 
not to use that language that said that hospitals couldn't use it. We were specifically told, do not send that to hospitals. Do not use that language when talking to hospitals. Instead, just send them to our website. What it says on their website is, if you're concerned about anything to do with our policies that we presented under the public health emergency, contact Apexis. And if you contact Apexis, Apexis will tell you, give us all of your details. We will submit them to HRSA and HRSA can tell you whether what you're doing is right or wrong. So we see that as a big change. They, they retracted this, the language that was very explicit, telling, that, telling hospitals that they could not use it in these locations. However, it's still vague as to whether they can or they can't. They just haven't given us any clarity. So we're going to continue to push here, uh, HRSA for clarity on this issue. And we strongly encourage any hospitals that are using 340B in their new child sites and locations that are not on the cost report to make sure you're consulting with counsel about what your what your policy should be on that issue. So when we last had you on the podcast, Maureen, we were preparing for the 340B Coalition Winter Conference, and now the Summer Conference is right around the corner. Anything you want to say about that? Yes, I'm so excited about our Summer Conference. It's going to be in D.C. again. It's going to be going on from July 10th to July 12th. We're going to have three pre-conference workshops, and then we're going to have more than 40 sessions on 340B operations, compliance, and all of the topics that we've been talking about today in terms of, you know, contract pharmacy and what's going on in Capitol Hill. It is the largest, both the one that we do in the summer and the one that we do in San Diego in the winter are the two largest conferences that are 340B specific in the nation. So the pre-registration deadline is June 30th, and I encourage anyone listening who's not signed up to do so today. And I really look forward to seeing many of you in National Harbor very soon. Well, we look forward to seeing many of our listeners at the summer conference as well. It's always so fulfilling to meet them in person and discuss all the great work they do. Maureen, thank you as always for coming on the podcast, for giving us the current lay of the land for the 340B community. We know from audience feedback that your updates are of great value. So we all appreciate you taking the time to be here. Well, thanks so much, David. I I really appreciate the opportunity to participate on this podcast. Our thanks again to Maureen Testoni for running us through the most important issues facing the 340B community. We look forward to having her on again later this season. We encourage you to listen to our recent episodes if you are not caught up, including our installments exploring 340B pharmacy supply chain issues claims submission conditions, and the latest data on contract pharmacy restrictions. And you can make sure you catch all our episodes the day they come out by subscribing to the podcast. We will be back in a few weeks with our next episode. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening and be well. Thanks for listening to 340B Insight. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, visit our website at 340bpodcast.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at 340B Health and submit a question or idea to the show by emailing us at podcast at 340bhealth.org. Topic up.